Welcome to Focus. We focus on folklore. I'm your host, Jolene B. Every other Monday, we will have a new episode with a new family to talk about. If you have an interesting family history and are interested in being featured, please DM our Instagram account at Focus Podcast. This week, we will be talking about a family from South Vietnam. We will refer to the person who submitted this comprehensive story as Will. Remember that family stories are told from the perspective of the family. There is always bias involved with the actual story. Keep in mind there is no intended hate against any nationality, ethnicity, or group. Let's get started. Let's do some context and talk about the Vietnam War. In the U.S., the version we learn and often hear about is from the perspective of the West. We learn about the experience of veterans in the war, um, not to say that veterans are not important, but, you know, they did dedicate their lives to, you know, serving our country, so that's very honorable. But anyways, um, we also learn about the anti-war protests in the U.S., especially in the 70s. We learn about Nixon and Lyndon B. Johnson and all that. Americans call the war the Vietnam War. The Vietnamese call the war the American War. Whatever you call it, the war would have lasting effects on the people of Vietnam, the debate over refugee resettlement, the concept of Western imperialism, and American foreign intervention. To get into it, sorry, to get into it, Vietnam has a long history of being ruled for several different dynasties and um, being controlled by China for periods of time. They also had warlords fighting for control of the country. During the 1600s, European Catholic missionaries and merchants played a major role in Vietnamese court life and politics. They set up training posts, but those posts were all shut down by 1700. In the late 1700s and early 1800s, different warlords, such as the Trinh and Nguyen, fought for control. With the help of the French, the Nguyen dynasty took over in 1802 with Emperor Gialong. However, his successors would be discriminatory against Catholic missionaries. France used that persecution to justify their involvement with Vietnam. By the 1850s, Vietnam suffered under weak leadership, smallpox outbreak, floods, revolts, and all of that. France took the opportunity, yay, opportunity, to take over. Between 1859 and 1883, France successfully conquered Vietnam and made it a French colony by 1887. France eventually formed a protectorate over northern Vietnam, central Vietnam, Laos, and much of present-day Cambodia. This became called French Indochina by the early 1900s. France ruled Indochina up until World War II, during which time, you know, France was invaded by the Nazis in the first half of the war. Of course, the Nazis were allied with Japan in the Axis powers. After France was invaded by the Nazis, Japan invaded much of Indochina. They were happy to do so. The Japanese ruled the former French protectorate with a puppet ruler, Emperor Baodai. During this time, Ho Chi Minh was the leader of a communist army in Vietnam called the Viet Minh. They fought against their Japanese occupiers with guerrilla warfare. After the defeat of Japan in World War II, following the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Ho Chi Minh declared the independence of Vietnam on September 2, 1945. He declared the country the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, with Hanoi in the north as its capital. Then, they went to war with France because Indochina was technically still a French protectorate, at least in France's mind. Between 1946 and 1954, the first Indochina war was fought between the Vietnamese and the French and surrounding countries on both sides of the conflict. Also during this time, the Cold War was setting in with the capitalist West and the communist East. America, with its interventionist self, backed anti-communist regimes, and communist countries like China and the USSR backed communist regimes. 
The Korean War, which I made an episode about, is a good example of that. So, Communist China and the USSR backed the Communist Viet Minh fighting for their independence. Western powers like the US and the UK backed France in stopping communism, or trying to stop communism, however you want to put it. The Communist Viet Minh were victorious in 1954, and it was decided that Vietnam would be split into two. In the Geneva Accords of 1954, it was decided that it would be divided in half on the 17th parallel. North Vietnam, aka the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, would be communist, and South Vietnam, the state of Vietnam, would be capitalist. Since they were also part of Indochina, Cambodia and Laos were granted independence. This all ended French Indochina. In 1955, North and South Vietnam had a referendum, like a vote, on whether they wanted to unite or remain independent from each other. Before the vote, Catholics fearing persecution in the Communist North fled to the capitalist South, and Viet Minh in the South went North to plan ahead. It is unclear where they originally were from, but Will's family ended up in South Vietnam. South Vietnam voted to remain independent, and they became the Republic of Vietnam with Hanoi as its capital. Because of this decision, the Second Indochina War, popularly known as the Vietnam War, began in 1955. The U.S., with its interventionist self, feared that the spread of communism in Vietnam would spread to other Asian countries like Japan and India. This was also called the domino theory, and the U.S. wanted to prevent it from occurring. In 1960, communist forces and anti-government forces in the capitalist South formed the National Liberation Front, a.k.a. the Viet Cong. The U.S., under President Kennedy, did not want to send forces in and wanted the South Vietnamese forces to deal with the Viet Cong themselves. However, the South Vietnamese forces were disorganized, so in 1963, the U.S. sent in equipment and officials to train the military. By 1964, there were a couple different coups in the South Vietnamese government, and President Kennedy was assassinated, placing President Lyndon B. Johnson in power. Also in 1964, the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution allowed the U.S. to be involved with the conflict in Vietnam without actually declaring war. The NLF, aka the Northern Communists, were winning and striking heavy casualties to South Vietnam, so Operation Rolling Thunder began. Operation Rolling Thunder was a bombing campaign between 1965 and 1968. The year 1965 also brought 200,000 U.S. troops to Vietnam and the military aid of the Southeast Asia Treaty Organization's countries. Bombing stopped for a time until 1972 with Operation Linebacker. By the time the U.S. troops left Vietnam in 1973, the U.S. military had dropped 4.6 million tons of bombs on Vietnam, destroying hundreds of thousands of villages and homes in the process. Around 2 million Vietnamese people were killed due to U.S. bombing. I won't go too much into the actual battles and more strictly warfare-related stuff, but there was a lot of human rights abuses during the time. Hi, this is Editing Jolene. In the next, like, 15 seconds, I would say, I'll be talking about some human rights abuses that came with American troops, especially, like, the My Lai Massacre. You might want to skip ahead if this might be potentially triggering to you. Namely, the My Lai Massacre in 1968 is the most famous one, in which American troops murdered between 347 to 504 unarmed North Vietnamese civilians. Also, there was a lot of rape and other crimes that you should definitely research. I definitely, definitely recommend doing research on this. Anyways, American troops left Vietnam in 1973. In 1975, North Vietnam went forth with a spring offensive and conquered the whole of Vietnam, thus ending the Vietnam War in 1975. A stream of refugees headed for the southern coast. In 1976, Vietnam was officially reunified under the Socialist Republic of Vietnam, which is what Vietnam is today. 
Will's mother was born around this time in the early 1970s. Her name is Hua. Hua's father was able to get an education and became fluent in Mandarin Chinese, but not much is known about Hua's mother other than that she did a lot of housework. Hua's birth records were lost in their immigration process, but she grew up during a time of poor economy. The Vietnamese economy took a major hit with the leaving of American soldiers and oil prices from the Yom Kippur War, and this severely affected many Vietnamese people, including Hua's family. Hua grew up very low income, and she did not always have access to education since it was not affordable at the time. At a young age, she had to help her parents, who worked as rice farmers, she had to help them make money. However, she was able to get some education with the sacrifice of her parents. Hua spent her childhood in the midst of lots of military conflict. At night, her family would have to go to the basement because they heard the sounds of bombs and war. To this day, Hua is sometimes triggered by loud noises. I mentioned that Vietnam was reunified in 1975 under the North Vietnamese, and Hua's family was South Vietnamese. South Vietnamese people faced intense persecution. These human rights violations include forced relocation, um, being held as political prisoners, and even death. When Hua was around 10 or 11, her family made the decision to leave. Many Vietnamese refugees escaped by boat, and the people who escaped by boat are known as boat people. Like, yeah, very creative name. Around 800,000 Vietnamese people are believed to have escaped by boat. Boats were small and overcrowded, and conditions were awful. Those who did not make it either drowned or were sexually assaulted or killed by pirates. The exact number of fatalities are not known, but hundreds of thousands died. This migration and humanitarian crisis peaked in the late 1970s, but it continued through the early 1990s. Hua's family escaped by boat. To escape Vietnam, her family needed to save up enough money to bribe police officers and guards, as well as pay for their journey to Malaysia. Hua remembers that there were days where people would just lay dying. The deceased would be thrown overboard. Her baby cousin died on the boat, and she was buried right after they reached Malaysia. The family lived in Malaysia for about a year trying to attain political asylum in the United States. Around 400,000 Vietnamese refugees would settle in the U.S., and they also settled in large numbers in Australia, Canada, and France. Some of Hua's aunts settled in Australia. Hua's family eventually attained asylum in the U.S., and they moved to Seattle. From Seattle, they moved to Chicago. From Chicago, they moved to California, like many other Vietnamese refugees. It was certainly difficult since they spoke little English and affordable housing was hard to find, but the community helped each other. There were a lot of fellow Vietnamese immigrants in California, and they would help each other out and literally teach each other how to get affordable housing. Hua worked long shifts in high school to support her family in paying bills, and she was able to attend a two-year college. With everything she has faced in her life, her associate's degree is one of Hua's greatest accomplishments. She found work as a librarian, and she met her future husband around this time. His name is Bin. Bin was born in South Vietnam, like Hua, in 1965. He grew up in an upper-middle-class family since his father was in business and finance. Due to his family's financial situation, he had access to education, he participated in music contests, and he was able to learn some Mandarin and Cantonese. However, life got harder after the U.S. troops withdrew from Vietnam in 1973. North Vietnamese forces were invading the South, of which they would conquer in 1975. There were rumors that the communist North Vietnamese would kill members of the upper middle class and the upper class. Hi, this is Editing Jolene. In the next, like, 15 seconds, I'm going to say, like, one sentence that could be potentially triggering to people. It's mentioned as suicide. So, if this might be potentially triggering for you, please skip forward, like, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. 
As a result of these rumors, Ben's father committed suicide when Ben was nine years old. This left Ben's mother, a single mom with eight children, in the midst of a war and human rights violations. It was very difficult for her, but the community helped her a bit. Since they were also South Vietnamese, like Qua's family, they needed to flee Vietnam. They escaped in a similar way. They escaped by boat to Malaysia, stayed there for a year, and were granted asylum in the U.S., and then moved to the U.S. Vin's family relied on food stamps, and this was a huge transition since they were upper middle class in Vietnam. They moved around a lot, and they eventually made it to Boston. It was a huge culture shock seeing how diverse the U.S. is. Vin would eventually own a business there, and he would get married to Hua. They then had Will himself. Vin now works in a couple different neighborhoods in Boston, and Hua is a stay-at-home wife. They still talk about the American dream. Although they face challenges like access to affordable, high-quality healthcare, Hua and Bin still believe in the U.S. government. Will wishes that the U.S. government would do more for low-income communities. Even though his family has achieved the basic principles of the American dream, like having a house, Will is not sure if his family has truly achieved it. Before we end, I wanted to add a little personal piece. The United States and other Western countries treated Vietnamese refugees with dignity and helped them for the most part. So what changed? Why do we treat refugees from Central America and the Middle East and Africa poorly? I think that historical Western intervention and refugee rights and all that needs to be evaluated when we look at our actions today. After all, refugee rights are human rights. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. If you have an interesting family story and want to share, privately message us at Focus Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to Will and his family, our editors, and our social media team. Music is by Meher Sethi. Make sure to follow us on Instagram to receive updates and suggest potential episodes. See you the Monday after next Monday. All names have been changed to respect privacy. All contributors to Focus share willingly. We encourage all listeners to do independent research on any historical events mentioned.